Welcome to the Sacred Feminine Power Podcast, where we explore the many facets of feminine power and why it is so important for women and for men to step into this power in our world at this time. This is Emmy from Feminine Revered, and my magical guest for today is Chloe Goodchild. Chloe is a singing philosopher, vocalist, teacher, author, and founder of The Naked Voice. The Naked Voice is a pioneering experiential vocal training program, providing a sound awareness toolkit of conscious core practices, music, audiobooks, and spoken meditations that empower you to find and, act and to embody your authentic voice. Chloe sings, teaches, performs, and records on her Naked Voice music label. She's also a presenter and author for Sounds Through Audiobooks and The Shift Network. Her music is available from Amazon, Spotify, Apple, and from her website. And on a more personal note, I took part in one of Chloe's courses through the Shift Network just over a year ago and was absolutely blown away by its impact on me and my confidence with my own voice. So thank you for that, Chloe, and welcome. It's wonderful to be with you in this conversation. Thank you. Thank you, and I'm super excited to be learning from you today. Now, since my podcast is called Sacred Feminine Power, I always like to start by asking my guests, what does sacred feminine power mean to you personally? Mm, what a great question. Sacred feminine power. Mm. Well, and my immediate uh, attention uh, goes directly to Gaia to this uh, planet, this earth, uh, upon which our lives uh, in, are entirely dependent. And uh, also I um, connect that with immense gratitude to the various lineages of the sacred feminine uh, that I've been blessed by and blessed to um, I would say my work with The Naked Voice has been very profoundly impacted by the presence of one of India's greatest woman saints of the 20th century, who was a luminary and a seer called Ananda Maima. And she was the uh, sacred feminine presence for uh, Mahatma Gandhi, for the whole Nehru dynasty. And she created uh, her, her, one of her main commitments was to generating education for girls and for women uh, in India. So she is, has, has had a profound impact on my life and on my understanding of the voice. And, of course, the goddess of the voice, Vach, is uh, a goddess and our connection with the voice, of course, is um, arises from the heart center, and the heart center uh, is really the the sacred chamber of the feminine and of devotion and empathy and deep unconditional listening. So that's just an initial, spontaneous response to your question. <laughs> mm, no, I love that. And I, I had goosebumps all over me when you were talking about your, your teacher and um, the, the, um, the earth. That was the first thing that you said. And it, that really resonated with me very, very strongly that for us to 
move forward on this beautiful planet of ours, we need to be truly connected to her and we need to embody the earth's presence in ourselves as well. Absolutely, absolutely. The, who is it? Uh, that wonderful ecologist, the wonderful Indian ecologist um, who speaks of how gardening and uh, being in our gardens and growing food uh, is one of the most revolutionary acts of our time, uh, mm-hmm. which I thought was brilliant as well. So big, deepest gratitude. Yes, I bow to Gaia. Mm, absolutely. Now, Chloe, could you please share one challenge that you have faced in your life that has really helped you to activate the sacred feminine power within you and on your life's path? Wow, wow, a challenge. Well, I think it would be true to say, uh, going back to the age of four, in fact, um, I had traumatic surgery on my ears and um, that experience actually closed down my hearing almost, it was about, I would say, 85, 90%. Wow. Uh, for about three years. And so my connection with nature was really profoundly impacted because, to my astonishment, as a, as a young child uh, walking about, that um, my connection with trees, with birds, with the wind... Uh, you know, I could still hear that sound. You know that sound when you put a shell up to your ear mm. and you can hear that kind of whistling sound in your ear? Mm-hmm. Um, it was that kind of sound, I would say, that I was able to hear. And somehow this um, kind of apparently enforced uh, outer silence uh, activated an inner stillness uh, because literally I didn't have to get caught up in social chat, you know, and this kind of social clamoring around me of, of um, three children and a, a very busy. We tended to be given uh, houses uh, for the work from the church, which actually uh, enabled us to, uh, you know, be close to nature and in this particular garden where I was when I was four oh my god I have vivid memories of literally talking to birds and or obviously I wasn't it was like it was just there was a communion of uh connection there uh to my you know very young childish innocent eyes and ears and so wonder uh, was there and that same experience of what I later called the presence and the dynamic nature of silence itself uh, and the music of silence, actually. Silence has a music, uh, an inner music. Um, All of this, this connection with sound and with vibration, with the goddess of the voice, uh, really unfolded through the rest of my life so that when my hearing returned around about the age of seven, uh, my, uh, it seemed like the most natural thing to dive into choral music. Uh, and so that challenge of not being able to hear, actually, I'm convinced, really did catalyze uh, a passion for a deeper hearing, a deeper listening, uh, both in my educational journey and then later um, in my nomadic travels around the world. 
Mm. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing about that experience. It must have been quite traumatic for you as a child to initially lose your hearing. It was. It was really strange. But, you know, as a child, uh, you just don't, you're not, or perhaps you don't remember anything else. Mm -hmm. So you just think, okay, so this is all par for the course. And my mother, whom I trusted infinitely, just had this intuition in the middle of the night, which I'm very glad she did, because otherwise I, we wouldn't be in this conversation right now. Uh, but uh, she came into my bedroom and my there was blood hemorrhaging all over the pillow and so on. And mm. um, she just literally scooped me up and rushed me off to the hospital. Um, and yes, it was challenging, but I think, I don't know, but it's like I don't look back on it in that way. Certainly now, um, I realized that it's as if it opened a doorway into my capacity, not only to learn how to listen to myself and express myself in an authentic way, but also to listen to others and also to listen to the suffering of others mm. and also to hear how the music of suffering, suffering itself has its own music. Uh, and there was something about this alchemy of listening uh, and suffering, and uh, what is our voice? What? How can our experience of suffering or conflict or challenge, um, how can that um, catalyze our deeper inquiry into who we are and why we're here? You know, why is there suffering, for example? Why are there these life challenges, you know? Um, and that's where my connection with indigenous communities and with, uh, particularly with Anandamai and, uh, other goddesses that have inspired, uh, mantric sound and so on, uh, such as Tara, Kuan Yin, uh, Shahina, you know, uh, Laleshwari, uh, Maria, you know, all these goddesses, they all sang, they all sang, and they all had this, um, uh, they all had this capacity for compassion. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's interesting. I've never said that before. They all sang. Oh. <laughs> but I just have a sense that their main way of communicating compassion had to come through um, this you know, divine receptive capacity to empathize, uh, to listen and to care for uh, and to support, uh, but also a ferocity, let's not forget, you know, just mm -hmm. sweetness and light and gentleness, um, but the kind of, you know, the ferocity of the feminine, of course, as well, uh, and how she wakes us up. And that requires a very deep connection with the voice, of course, as well. Absolutely. Well, I love the level of um, personal inquiry and, and insight that this traumatic experience as a child has really given you and, and the gift, kind of like the hidden blessing or gift from that suffering that you went through as a child and how it's blossomed into this deeper understanding and a sense of compassion around suffering and, and so on. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so interesting. I think of, who, what's her name? That amazing percussionist, um, Gle uh, Evelyn Glennie, 
mm-hmm. who is this woman. She's actually deaf. Uh, she's deaf, but she plays percussion like there's no tomorrow. And she learned how to listen with her body. Mm. She says she describes how she listens with her body, and she is a phenomenal. I mean, supreme um, percussionist, world percussionist, orchestral percussionist. Um, and in fact, I believe she's even made a beautiful um, audio called "Listening." It's, it's definitely has "Listening" in the title, and she's just demonstrating how all the different instruments of percussion taught her how to listen through her body. Mm. Which I think is amazing, isn't it? And another, actually, another, the woman who taught me that singing is not performance, that singing is a way of life, um, or reminding me and everybody else that she was teaching, Frankie Armstrong, she was a blind singer. Mm. It's so interesting, this, isn't it, that the absence of one of our senses um, actually can be the very catalyst that awakens, uh, awakens, just wakes us up in ways we never imagined possible. Mm, how beautiful. How, how is this all related to the concept of the naked voice? Could you please expand on that? <laughs> oh, I, well, I love your voice, number one. <laughs> else is enjoying that too. You have a wonderful uh, embodied, earthy, very sensual sound in your voice. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous to talk with you. Um, Let's see. Um, So the word naked is quite a kind of edgy title, really, isn't it? You know, you sort of think, now, I mean, that was, that came to me that I coined the phrase, the naked voice in 1990. And since then, you know, there's, in England, we have the wonderful restaurateur, um, Jamie Oliver, who made the naked chef, you know, and there's been quite a lot of naked themes ever since, you know. Um, uh-huh. But for me, it came um, it came from an experience, a transformative experience I had in India um, in the late eighties and early nineties. Um, I was actually asleep on the seashore in Crete, which again is a, an island of a very much dedicated to the sacred feminine, and I know that was a very strong reason for being there. And it was there that I started having these dreams of uh, this massive Indian woman who would come kind of open-armed and welcoming, would swoop me up in her arms and swallow me whole and then spew me out as a man and woman. And it's like really powerful dreams. And these dreams were recurring. Her presence, um, which was... I just had never experienced anything like it. I certainly had never had any recurring dreams before. Uh, But it wasn't until I saw a slideshow um, of the great Saint Ananda Mahima, the blissful mother um, of India, uh, that I realized that is who I've been dreaming of. Mm. And as soon as I saw her image, and the image I saw was actually of her singing, and in a kind of an ecstatic mystical state. Um, I mean, she was a very down-to-earth, uh, very elevated being, but also extraordinarily down-to-earth and a terrific organizer um, of, I don't know, it's about 24 different spiritual communities in India that she um, ignited. Um, so never before, I didn't really know much about India. I just started learning about 
Hindu uh, bhakti yoga and devotional chanting in the mid-80s. And this is because I'd left teaching in formal education, uh, even though I literally, um, my, my mission as a child was to change the world through music. Mm. And so I was very disillusioned when, I, when it actually came to teaching music in schools uh, that uh, I was so disillusioned to find how many schools place uh, music as a very low status subject uh-huh. on the curriculum. And so I thought, okay. And so I ended up almost like, sort of half killing myself trying to create like choral festivals and very high energy um, personal experiences for children just to hear the, the healing power of their own singing. And of course that was very demanding. So I left formal education and I decided, right, I'm going to go and see if I can connect with the communities, the wisdom communities, the indigenous communities, communities in the world for which music is still a an integral part of everyday life, mm-hmm. uh, which in England, it's more of a performative activity. Uh, you know, even if you find it in local pubs, uh, it's, it's still a performance. It's something you pay for. It's not something that's necessarily happening all the time while you're working, while you're cooking, while you're out in the fields, you know. Uh, so I went off to India, and um, it was in India uh, that I started to experience the spiritual philosophy of non-duality mm. and that experience of non-separateness, that there is only one of us. Uh, and it was that only one of us, again, a very... Um, core feminine sacred feminine principle that we are an all-inclusive reality um, was combined with having classical Indian uh, music lessons vocal lessons and it was in India that I started to hear a way of sounding and singing that absolutely blew my mind uh, because they have I've just got beside me here a harmonium which is a portable keyboard which you might be able to hear. And the reason why uh, this is used in Sufi music in Pakistan and all over the place, it's also used in Celtic music, uh, in medieval Christian music you'll hear it. In India, you'll hear it as a backing sometimes for the ragas. And they create this unchanging drone very often. Sometimes you hear that unchanging drone uh, played by a tambura, four-stringed in a stringed instrument that looks a little bit like a sitar. Um, and it's, you can just literally just sing from there. And what that means is you're always aware that there's something in your sound that never changes. Ah, 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 you're feeling even if you're feeling oh you know you might be feeling like that or you might be feeling oh you know or you might be feeling la 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 you know the there is no end to the possibility of the voice 
And it was in India and listening to all these incredible, subtle ways of using the voice. So not just like, la, 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 you know, not like that, but more, um, la, you know, much more microtonally. So you can hear the sounds in between one diatonic note and the next, you know. So it was in India uh, that I started to hear this. And then that was supported by these non-dual teachings with um, some wonderful non-dual teachers there out in India. One particularly who was a disciple of Ramana Maharshi, the great Indian saint and um, from Tiruvannamalai. And he, he he used to sing love letters to Arunachala, the mountain behind him. Mm. Because he had, you know, he was in this kind of state of unicity all the time. And in his... In his uh, spiritual community, his ashram, there would be constant singing going on. And uh, not only in India, but in Africa, in the Middle East, obviously Turkey, uh, Greece, you know, uh, over in northern Canada. Um, I was lucky enough to meet the Pegani, the indigenous community up in northern Montana. Hmm. And all of them, all of them, have this embodied relationship with the voice. But it wasn't really till I was in India and this there was something going on there that all I can describe it as was my mind disappeared for a moment in time. For about two or three years, uh, sorry, two or three months, my egoic mind ceased to dominate the field of my attention. And it was that experience which I think was coming out of this deepening inquiry into the question, who am I? Or which later became, who is singing? Uh, Where does this sound come from? And this practice of uh, following your sound back to its source, that literally that experience uh, just brought me home to myself in a way that was... I describe it as older and deeper than the polarity of all conflict. So I was no longer in a place of separateness or duality. And um, it was from that experience uh, that I started to really hear the human voice in every human being. And it was like this recurring, unchanging, unified sound, vibration in India they call it fundamental consciousness, that exists in all human beings. Uh, And when we're not driven by the busyness of the egoic mind, we all have the capacity to hear that and to um, sound from there and to communicate from there. Mm, Wow, you shared so much wisdom there. And just by you spending a few moments playing the harmonium and tuning to it with your voice. I I was transported somewhere else during that time already. And what particularly stayed with me from, from everything that you said was talking about the school kids and the healing power of their own singing. And what this really took me back to is, what is your advice to our listeners who may have been told from an early age that they don't have beautiful voices, that they cannot sing, that they've been told to silence themselves every time they try to express themselves through singing. 
I'm talking from a personal experience here as well. But what is your advice to listeners who might have gone through something like that? Well, and my God, is everybody going through it right now with this whole kind of metaphor of masking the the mask? Yes. Um, Yes. It's interesting, isn't it, Um, with this coronavirus uh, apparent pandemic? Um, So my advice is to really start asking yourself, who am I? Why did I come here? What have I come here for? You know, what do I want to say? What is my life about? And what do I really want to say? What do I want to give voice to in my life? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean making any sound at all. But because you can feel that from the inside, you can think of all kinds of uh, responses to that. What, what, what do I want to give voice to in my life? But even the act of asking that question and responding it to it, even internally, uh, is it, it, it generates a feeling in the body which is empowering. And that feeling is like, it's, it's more of a yes than a no, if you know what I mean. It's like an inner, oh, yes, that's why I'm here. Mm. That's why I'm here. And then you, you can start exploring, just simply saying, yes. <laughs> and just seeing how that feels to say yes. You know, because it's important for you to know, and you may well be know, know already, of course, that you are not alone. You're not alone in this feeling of, oh, I haven't got a voice. Uh, we have to forgive our elders and betters at this point, and we have to forgive the uh, cultures into which we were born, that um, much beauty there and also much conditioning that was negative, uh, that was frightened of the authentic voice. And many adults, let's face it, are frightened of children, you know, because children still live in a, in, a, in a realm of aliveness and wonder, you know, if they are given that blessed opportunity. And so to find yourself saying yes, and then to consider just reflecting on the sound of your name. And so, for example, uh, you can ask somebody to ask you what your name is. And this is a practice that you can do. It's just simply called sounding your name. Okay. So if you ask me, what's my name? And then I'll demonstrate what the practice is. So you want me to uh, ask you what your name is? You just don't. So this is what, something you can do with two people, or you can do it with yourself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of you asks the other, what is your name? So you mm-hmm. just ask me what your name is. Okay, what is your name? Chloe. All right, now that's quite a social response. I'm still speaking. Now I'm listening. Chloe. Okay, now if I just keep recurring, repeating, that's what I heard, exactly as I heard it, still speaking. Chloe. Chloe. Now I can start to hear there's a pitch in there, which is determined by the different syllables. But even if it's one syllable, there'll be a pitch, like a a sonorous pitch. 
Chloe. Now, if I just forget more about the name and think more about, just listen more closely to the melody line, the, the pitch of that sound. Chloe. Now I'm going to listen more to the singability of it. Chloe. I'm going to slow it down a little bit. Chloe. So I'm now half speaking, half singing. Chloe. Now I can start to hear there's a musicality in this sound, which is very embodied still. I'm just speaking of myself and I'm just listening and I am not judging what I'm hearing. That's the key, is you just listen to it and you just start getting used to hearing the musicality of your speaking voice. Chloe. So that could ultimately turn into, oh, you know, and if you had an instrument nearby or even if you didn't, but for example, I'll give you an idea with the harmonium. That has a pitch which you can find on a piano or a guitar. It's 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 a huge interval. And in fact it goes off the end of the harmonium. It's it's a big in musical interval, what we call an interval. And so that's one thing you can just start doing. And it's very simple because it's just speaking. Anybody can speak their name. But how often have you ever really reflected on the musicality of your name and then how that sounding your name experience can just literally bring you into the sonorous, melodic nature of the sound of your voice? And then you realize there's no separation between speaking and singing anymore. Um. And that's very important because we have, as a culture, many of us have, you know, we've been brought up in a, in a world where the speaking over here, which is mainly everyday life, and then the singing over here, which, you know, tends to be in public places that you have to pay money to go and hear kind of thing. Um. Uh, whereas in wisdom cultures, indigenous cultures, in cultures where music is still an integral part of everyday life, there's no separation. And that restoration of speaking and singing within your own naked voice really starts to empower your connection with yourself. You know, uh, and it's incredibly simple then because you're not performing anymore. It's not a performative thing. It's more of a self-inquiry, meditative. It's like a spiritual practice. Yeah. Mm, I love that. And especially the idea of working with your own name, because your own name carries a vibration as well. And when you combine the two, oh, that is beautiful. I'm going to start <laughs> practicing with that. <laughs> well, then, of course, what you can consider is, uh, you know, bringing in poetry. I just love um, poetry, uh, particularly certain kinds of poetry, mystical poetry. Um, I have just started something called the listening field, which my daughter has taught me how you turn it into an Instagram. And um, it's really just to give me an opportunity to recite poetry with her playing the piano, which is one of my most favorite things. Mm, that sounds beautiful as well. 
Thank you for these, these ideas and inspirations. Now, Chloe, I understand that you have a gift or some gifts for our listeners as well. Could you please uh, tell us a little bit more about that? Thank you. Well, I, um, not that long ago, I just decided, goodness me, we're living in crazy, turbulent, wild times, you know, and a lot of people can't necessarily afford to get to workshops or they can't even now travel to get to, you know, voice workshops or anything like that. So I thought, okay, uh, I'm just going to make a free uh, meditation, sound meditation room. And so if you go to uh, chloegoodchild.com, www.chloegoodchildmyname.com slash meditation hyphen room, uh, you will find lots of online uh, quite extended either chants or mantras or songs, love songs. Uh, there's one in there which is simply sounding how I love you. Uh, and then I think I've got both that combined with a beautiful um, mantra called the Heart Sutra, uh, which is one of our central mantras in our work. Om Gati Gati Paragati Parasangati Bodhi Swaha. Great favorite of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And uh, you can just you can just sing it on one note, like. Gate Pada Gate Parasangate Bodhiswaha. You know, which basically means go, go far beyond, far beyond the wisdom is. Uh, and I've made a version of that in the meditation room, along with six or seven others uh, that you are so welcome just to relax to or sing along with or uh, improvise with. Yeah. Mm, Thank you so much. That sounds absolutely beautiful. And I also understand that you are going to be holding a online retreat in October, towards the end of October. That's right. It starts um, on October the 25th, and it's uh, a journey into the voice of silence. So it's exploring a lot of what we've been opening up here, really, Uh, how the voice itself, your voice, the authentic voice, the naked voice, is empowered, how it is empowered by a relationship with silence. And uh, our understanding of silence as an inner vibration. You know, it's not just like nothing happening. It's, it's an empowering catalyst for sound. And so I'm very happy to say that uh, this, uh, uh, actually, I don't think I told you this. It's actually going to be live. It's going to be in person for a maximum of 18 people. Mm. Uh, normally there would be many more people, but the um, the venue where it's held in the United Kingdom, uh, near to Bristol, uh, which is like two hours from London, um, is uh, able to take us take eighteen of us, and then it will be live streamed. So if you can't get there, 
literally, uh, you'll, you can find yourself there, um, literally by switching on your laptop. Wow, that sounds wonderful. And, and will the information about this retreat be on your website as well? Exactly. That's if you go to the, the nakedvoice.com and then uh, simply go to the events page and there will all the information be. Uh, I'm just so thrilled that we're going to be able to do this in person. Uh, it's a place where I've taught for many years and where my in-depth retreats have been uh, for many years. And what I love about having a small group of people there, literally present, uh, and is that it makes the whole experience much more intimate, even if you're thousands of miles away. Uh, we will definitely include you and you can be included in the practices and included in the conversation. Uh, so that's very important also for you to know. Mm. And it's all all levels of experience. You know, you can be a complete beginner to this idea of working with the voice as a spiritual practice. Um, or you can, you know, you can be exploring voice as a performer or a, uh, a meditation practitioner for years. You may be a therapist, you may be a nurse or a doctor uh, who's really looking for some, for some time out and some time, healing time. You know, it's very, very healing work. Mm, I love the sound of that. And I'm, I'm so excited that we're able to talk about this and offer it to our listeners as well. So thank you so much for that. Thank you, Emmy, for offering that. And thank you for your wonderful, wonderful, inspiring work. Nothing more important than really just bringing the presence, the unconditional presence of the sacred feminine. Mm. Thank you so much. And what a blessing it has been to have you with us today. And thank you for all the wisdom and the insights and the advice that you've shared with all of us today. Great privilege and pleasure. Mm. Thank you. Now, everybody, let's just for a moment focus our intention on this beautiful, expansive energy that's been activated during today's talk. And imagine sending this energy to everybody, everywhere on our planet, to truly remember that we are all one. And to remember that the more of us step into our sacred feminine power, the more quickly our planet will also ascend into unity consciousness and into the realm of love and compassion. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here.